If you'll please take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 25. We took a hiatus last week to talk about fasting and prayer as we come to our time of the concert of prayer, as Neil has reminded us, that will happen next Sunday. And uh, we're back to the parables of the gospel of Matthew, and we come to a place where uh, it's kind of, we just sang a song of talking about feasting in the house of Zion, Um, but the cynical side of me, as we look at this parable, it was like, well, not everybody. Um, because this is kind of a scary parable. Uh, it's a parable that's written to us, the religious people, the people who think we have it all together. And so this is one of those parables that are, are very frightening in my perspective of, well, maybe I don't have it as all together as I think I do. Um, and so I want you to hear this this morning because it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a warning to us. Uh, who are in the church, and it's a, it's a warning in such a way uh, that it causes us to ask the question of what is the difference between a possession of faith and a profession of faith, and they're very, very different. So I want you to hear uh, the words of this this morning, and then take it and apply it. So listen to the word of the Lord. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps, and the bridegroom was delayed, and they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go gather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. And afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the day nor the hour. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come, we know that this is a warning that's given to us, the church. And so, Father, give us ears to hear and hearts to understand your words. Lord, let us be wise and not foolish. Let us always be ready for your return, that we would be watchful and that we be found faithful to the calling that you've given to us. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, I'm someone who likes to prepare, and especially as I did youth ministry early, um, it was one of the things that I felt like we needed to do as youth uh, leaders to make sure that everything, and so I would have an envelope of all the money for our kids to go uh, to the, so they could never say, I don't have my money, or I forgot this, or whatever. I would have money set aside in envelopes. I would continually ask them, where's your passport? Show me your passport. Um, show me your ticket. Show me um, this thing. Where's, where's all your stuff? Did you keep your tags um, for your luggage just in case we lose our luggage like we have many times before? Do you, are you prepared? And so there's things that we can do to prepare ourselves to make sure that we're not caught unprepared. 
Now, it doesn't mean that there aren't times where there are times where we forget things or uh, have forgotten things. I remember a couple times where I've forgotten to take my wallet, and uh, one of the times was I was uh, setting up uh, a contract with a hotel, and I was trying to get a number of rooms, and I took this man to lunch, um, only to grab into my pocket to pay for the bill, and there's no wallet or money. Um, and so it's awfully awkward to ask the person that you're taking to lunch to sign a contract to say, hey, um, I'll pay you back, but can you pay for the lunch? Um, so there's times of awkwardness because there are times where we fail uh, to prepare. And remember, that's one of the quotes that Ben Franklin, that's at least alluded to Ben Franklin, if we fail to prepare, we prepare to fail. And so with that kind of mindset, I want to kind of pick apart this parable this morning and kind of look, what is it that God is saying to us in the parable? And the first thing we're look at is the care. So there are assistants to the bride, and these are assistants. They're young girls, and there has been discussion about this um, through many, many years uh, where there's, it's talking about polygamy. This is where God comes in and justifies polygamy because what's happening here is there are these 10 virgins who are going to be married uh, to the groom, and that's not the passage uh, that we're looking at. It's young girls. That's the meaning behind the word uh, that's used there in the Greek. So there are young girls who are there um, as assistants to the bride. So there's only one bride, and so they're busy at the home of the bride, helping to get the bride ready for the groom. Now, again, we have to understand that uh, weddings back then are not the way weddings are now. And so there was a time where you entered into betrothal, and that's where the parents usually uh, made the, the connection, and there was a contract that was given, and you entered into a betrothal period um, for up to a year, usually. And so this is why we hear the stories of Joseph and Mary, why he went to divorce her quietly. So he wasn't married. He didn't know her, but he was betrothed to her. So um, we would say this is like for those who are fiancés. It's you're not married yet, but you're just as well married. So, um, so do all the things right. And so Joseph was betrothed to Mary, but then found himself at a place where he was ready to divorce her. And so we have this betrothal period, but then the man was supposed to go back to his father's house and build the bridal chamber. He was supposed to build on to his father's house. And only the father was able to say to the man, now is the time to go and bring your bride. It's what Jesus says to the disciples and to us. I go and prepare a place for you. But he also tells us very clearly, I don't even know. Jesus says, I don't even know the day and the hour because it's up to the Father to tell me to come back and to bring the bride, the church, into heaven. So this is where we're at. They're awaiting the arrival of the groom. And there's an unknown time. Now, they kind of had a general idea of the day, but there could have been possible delays. Now, it could have been that the father didn't say, hey, he could have gone into the bridal chamber and said, hey, it's not completely done. You need to fix these things. You need to get these things done before you go get your bride. There's also an attitude where people, the mother of, the mother and father of the bride for the bride price would delay to kind of make their daughter feel like she was more special, that she was elevated in her understanding of being uh, waited for. But there's also the wedding contract or the covenant. And so even to today, um, if you go to Jewish weddings or whatever, there's an actual contract that is written that people sign. And so all of this kind of stuff had to happen. So ultimately it leads to a delay for some reason to why the bride, I mean, why the bride's still waiting for the groom to come. But ultimately you have uh, the groom coming. 
And so while they're waiting, they fall asleep. Now, again, there's nothing bad in and of this stuff because it's both the wise and the unwise do it. But they could have been doing other things during this time. They could have prepared themselves for the arrival of the groom. So here it comes, the arrival of the groom, and it happens about midnight. And they come calling out because there's a procession of the people that are coming with the groom and his family to come and to find the bride and to bring her back to his house. And so this goes out to where the groom is approaching and the time has arrived. And so everybody's up and they're doing their finishing touches because they're waiting for the processional. And the processional is where he takes the bride to his home. Now, again, what happens is he tells them, now you're going to have to light your torches. Now, again, we're not sure exactly how it's written, whether it's those little lamps. And if you understand uh, this time period, they had little clay lamps that were full of oil and it had a little wick on it. And so there could have been those lamps. But there's also, it's written in such a way that it says, light your torches, Now, again, if it was a torch, it would have been on a long pole, and it would have been uh, stuff that was wrapped around the top of the pole, and then they would have poured the oil on top of the rags on top of the pole and lit it. Now, this only lasted for about 10 to 15 minutes. So you had to make sure that you could last from the home of the bride to the groom. And so the people had to bring extra flasks of oil so they could stop every 10 to 15 minutes and add oil to the burning torch. Now, either way, whether it's a small little lamp or it's a torch uh, that they're carrying, it doesn't matter. Either way, five of them had enough oil and five didn't. And so that enables a crisis. And this crisis is because some are unprepared. Now, let's look at what all of them get to do before the crisis period. All of them are invited to the wedding. Every one of them have been invited. They've been included into this. And specifically, these young ladies have been asked specifically to come and to prepare the bride. They have responded to the call of the invitation. They're there. They are participating, and they're awaiting the coming. All of the women are doing this at the same time. Now, this is where it gets a little scary. Because you could have been sitting in these these seats for years and think you're a Christian and you're not. You could have said all the right things. You could have said a sinner's prayer. You could have gone to um, places. You could have gone to events. You can sing the songs. You can say the prayers. I've told you many times when I was coaching, I was coaching uh, the two places I coached were at Christian schools and, and the Um, at least in name. And so every day we would do the Lord's prayer as like a chant. But the majority of the kids that were doing it had no clue. Had no clue what they were saying. And so there's this uh, understanding that this comes. So people were prepared. They were given the invitation. They respond. But there are five who were unprepared. So these are the people, the five that fail to do the wishes of the groom and the bride. And I wrote in my notes here, is this an unloving thing to have happened here? Now, we all, here's what I mean. If you have gotten married, um, there are things that you say to some people, this is one thing I need you to do. One thing, don't let me down on this. 
No problem. Until the time that they let you down. And you go, I thought I knew that person. I thought that person loved me enough to take care of the preparation that I asked them to. See, these women knew that there was going to be a processional. They knew they needed to have their torches lit for the whole time. They knew expectations. And they failed to prepare. That's where we are. And I hope you understand that when Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus is telling us he's coming back. Be prepared. Know what is required because he's coming back and we don't know the day or the hour or the moment. And so the warning is out there and these people knew that they had to have the oil for their torches and yet they were unprepared. So what do they do? They go to the wise ones who had their flask of oil and said, hey, can we take some of your oil? Now, that makes sense, doesn't it? And if we were told, if you're a good Christian, you would share. Right? We tell that to our kids all the time. You need to share with your brother. You need to share with your friends. You need to share with other people. We need to love people like we love ourselves. This parable isn't about sharing, though. Remember those, their airline announcements, remember? And they said, when the mask comes down, when you're in that dire situation, who do you put the mask on first? Yourself. Why? Because if you die, then you can't help anybody else. So this is where there's a shift, because it's not about sharing. It's talking about an unalterable division. It's impossible, because what we're talking about here is saving faith. And it's saying you only have enough faith for yourself. So even those who have an advantage of being raised in Christian homes, that does not save you. You can't look and say, well, well, my mom and dad, well, they were good Christians, or I went to a good Christian church, or I went to a Christian school, or my kids were Christians. You can't get in by somebody else's faith. It's impossible because there's an unalterable division And so what happens is we have to make sure that when we have a profession of faith, do we possess the faith? Because there's a big difference because it's easy to profess. It's easy to claim. People claim things all the time. That's why we have the statement, actions speak louder than words. Because people lie all the time. And so there's a profession that comes, and we even know it from James chapter 2, verse 19. You believe that God is one, you do well, but even the demons believe, and they at least shudder. See, here's the, here's the problem. The demons have good doctrine and theology. They would make good Presbyterians. They know the right doctrine. They know correct theology. What they don't have is love. What they don't do is obey what God calls us to do. 
So when we possess the faith, it's a heart issue, and it changes not only our doctrine, but it changes our character. It changes our conduct. Now, again, I have to be very, very careful, because, again, we are saved by faith through grace through Christ alone. True, but we're saved unto good works. Which means that if you are living a life that does not proclaim what the scripture is that you're learning and you're teaching, then there's a disconnect. And we don't do it to earn God's love, but because of God's love for us, we respond by doing what he says. He says, I will be your God and you'll be my people. If, there's always an if statement, if you obey my commands. Now again, not because we have to, but because we get to. And so it's this challenge of this heart issue of making sure because what happens next is the door is shut in regards to the consequences. So the processional happens. Everybody goes. They go into the groom's house. The gate and the door is shut and no one else is allowed back in. Now part of this is because they um, have special, and again, you're talking about a long process. So you're talking about a feast that could sometimes last a week. But the wedding happened with personal friends and family and that usually happened the first night. And so what you did is you did it in such a way that people couldn't sneak into the procession. And so they had the procession. The people walk into the groom's house. The door is shut. And now the the unwise virgins have had to go out. And they've had to go and find this oil. And so they've had to be waking somebody up. We know it was at least midnight before the groom came. So they had to go out and find the people who sold the oil or go to family and friends who had the oil or go to their own house to get extra oil. So they had to go. And so they were waking people up. They were going and doing the things. And then they get the oil. They finally go. They know where they're supposed to go. They come and they're thinking, now it's party time. We get to be a part of it. And the door's shut and they're surprised. And they even cry out, Lord, Lord, let us into the party. And what he tells them is you're not allowed in because there is judgment. Now, where does this judgment come from? Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now that should scare the bejeebies out of you. It does me. Now again, I don't want you to be scared because of because you're guilted into it. And I know people like me who've come from a legalistic background, people who've come out of the Catholic Church kind of thing, we've been guilted into thinking if we're not doing good things, then somehow God loves us less. And so we're always having to do good things to earn his love. That's legalism. And so what's happening here is there are people, listen, people who are doing some pretty big things in Jesus' name. 
They're doing works. They're teaching. They're casting out demons. They're doing ministry. And yet Jesus says to them, depart from me. I don't know who you are. Because you practice lawlessness. Which means we have to ask the question, why do we do what we do? See, we respond in love. That's what Jim read for us from 1 Corinthians 13. Listen, I can could, I could prophesy. I can do all these things. I can be in clanging symbol. I can do all sorts of ministry stuff. But if I have not love, then I don't get the gospel. And so it's the question of what Jesus says, I don't recognize you, is because I don't recognize you because you're not part of my people. You can have all the right doctrine, and yet your character doesn't match. That's why Jesus was using the religious people all the time. Remember in the Good Samaritan, who are the people who pass by? The religious people. Now, why didn't they do anything? Well, they were doing it. They weren't touching the potty because that would have made them unclean and they got a job to do. What about the unlovely? How do we treat them? How do you treat one another? Remember, the Bible's clear it's easy to treat those who are your friends because you get something in return. What do you do for those who can do nothing in return? See, we have to recognize that what God is telling us is we have to love God, and as we love God, we love other people. He says everything comes down to that. Are we loving God with our whole heart, our soul, mind, and our strength, and that we love our neighbor as ourselves? Now, again, easy words to profess, hard words to put into practice. And again, I want you to please hear me very clearly. This is not a guilt-ridden thing. And it doesn't mean that you're called to do everything. I could say stuff from this pulpit and people would be like, oh, maybe that's us for everything. No. But what we should be asking is saying, God, am I the one that you're calling to answer the need? And sometimes he says yes, and sometimes he says no. Or sometimes he tells you, wait. It's just not the right time. But again, please don't be guilt-driven into anything, but do ask the question, do I love God by the way that I'm living my life? Not just in my doctrine." but with my character. Would people be able to come up with enough evidence to say that you know Christ as your Savior and Lord? But make no mistake, we are saved by grace through the mercy and the love of God. 
And he gives to you the invitation and he says, come to this table freely. We don't earn it. It's the invitation that we have and it's given to us. And so the question and the application today is very simple. And again, if I wasn't Presbyterian, I'd start having him pray just as I am. But I think you need to ask the question, am I a Christian? Do I know Jesus Christ as my personal Savior and as my Lord? And do I love him with everything and who I am, my heart, my mind, my soul? Do I love him more than anything else in the world? Or is there an idol that sits just a little bit higher than Jesus Christ? So what he's given to us is another opportunity. He's saying there's still time to prepare. Confess your sins. Repent and turn back to God. And he's faithful. And he's waiting. And here's something he he does that you can't do. He removes your sin as far as the east is from the west. And he remembers it no more. Because we're good about remembering each other's sins. Hey, do you remember that time you were mean to me? Hey, you remember that time you talked bad about your pastor? Well, I wrote it down in my ledger. And you did it again. He doesn't treat us that way. So when God sees us, for those who are Christians, he sees his son. He says, well done, good and faithful servant, for you've given everything, but now you receive so much more. Or we stand before God and said, I wanted to do this one on my own. And God says, you foolish, foolish person. I never knew you. Depart from me. So ask yourself this question. Where am I today? For those who've fallen away, run back to your Savior, Jesus Christ. For he's waiting and he's willing to take you in and to love you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this scares me so much. Because I do so many things for you that sometimes I forget why I'm doing it. And Father, that's true for all of us. For we all know in this room that it's not about doing good things or bad things. We can do good things with wrong motives, wrong thoughts. And so, Father, I do pray that you would allow us to be wise. Lord, we know that you have paid the ultimate price. You've given your payment upon the cross, but you you don't just stop there. You give to us your righteousness, your perfect ability so that we might stand before God. So, Father, let us not be caught unaware. Let us not be given excuses of, Well, just later in life, I just don't have the time right now. Lord, our day might be today that you call us home. 
or today might be the day that you return to bring us home. And Father, you tell us to be ready so that we might be welcome into the feast. And that feast is set before us today so that we might taste and see and smell that you are good and that you paid the covenant price with your blood and your body so that we might be called the sons and daughters of the King. Father, thank you for your ministry. Thank you for your warning this morning. May we take it to heart and apply it. And Lord, may it be said of us that we are truly your servants. And we look forward to the day where we hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest and enjoy the party of the wedding feast of Jesus and his bride, of which those who are called are a part of. For this we pray in Christ's name and all God's people said, amen.